Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, and welcome back to Done With Debauchery. This past weekend was Canadian Thanksgiving, and I hope everyone who celebrated was able to have a nice time with their families, and most importantly, stayed sober. My family's in another province, so I didn't have a big turkey dinner this year. And while I'm kind of sad about it, I technically did get invited by two different friends to have dinners with them, but I chose not to go. So I had a nice weekend anyways, and I'll be seeing my family at the end of the month, which is, which is a bonus. I want to jump right into this week's episode because I'm so excited to share it with you. This week, my guest is Tara. She's a fellow Toronto sober girl, and as you'll be able to tell, we really hit it off and I felt like I could talk to her for hours. Tara shares so much of her life and sobriety journey with me. She talks about how her parents' divorce and her relationship with her parents impacted her drinking, how codependency and toxic relationships propelled her further into her addiction, and what mental health struggles she faced along the way. Her life has completely transformed since getting sober nine years ago, and none of it would have been possible if she didn't stop drinking. You can find Tara on Instagram at hello, I am Tara. And as always, I'll include her information in the show notes so that you can easily find her. Before we get into the episode, I do want to provide a trigger warning for those who need it. In the episode, there are mentions of domestic abuse, suicide attempts, and other sensitive topics relating to mental health. Although we don't go into specific details, the episode should be listened to with care. Okay, let's get into it. Tara, how are you today? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. It feels like, like you said, like we're old kind of best friends. We're <laughs> yeah. two fellow Toronto sober girls. Um, <laughs> but you're not actually originally from Toronto either. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Texas. Gold in Texas. Dallas, Texas. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah. So it's like very different. Obviously. A ve- yeah, a very different environment. Uh, yeah. What what kind of made you choose Toronto from Texas? So I I never probably would have chosen to ever live in Canada because like as an American, unfortunately, like they didn't teach us anything about Canada. Like when I, I actually moved here because of my husband. And when like when my husband told me that he was from Toronto, I was like, oh my God, like people live there. Like it's, <laughs> there's civilization. It's not just, it's not just like a bunch of like, ice and tundra um but we met online actually um so he is like a professional gamer like does twitch streaming and youtube for a living and i was doing that like as a hobby like just after i got sober because i was like so mentally ill from you know the years and years of abuse i had put myself through and i needed a job but i was too agoraphobic or anything to go outside so i was like okay i'll just stream on twitch like i can do it from home i don't have to leave i can just do everything online so i ended up meeting him through twitch or through like the online gaming space and um pretty instantly like within two weeks we told each other we loved each other and we just like oh my knew. gosh <laughs> just, like i don't know it was crazy like we just knew at the time and yeah so seven eight, almost eight years later now actually Oh my God. Um, Congratulations. I love that. I love that, that kind of like online romance. Like you don't, you hear about it happening, but then to actually like see you guys together so many years later is amazing. It's like almost a decade that I've been with him. So I've been with him through basically like all of my twenties. All of your twenties. And you've also been sober for almost a decade. Yeah. So I just hit nine years sober, like a couple weeks ago, like in September. So I got sober when I was 21 and I'm 30 now. 
So yeah, I spent literally like like minus one year, I guess my entire twenties completely sober. Well, congratulations on nine years. Like, I feel like that is what like somebody like me is like striving for. And it's so incredible. You just hit eight months, right? Yeah, that's right. Congrats. You're almost at that year mark. That's so exciting. I know. I know. It like feels like I'm more excited about that than like my birthday. <laughs> that's coming me, up. Me too. I don't really celebrate my birthday like that much anymore. I celebrated 30 because like I turned 30, but like I look forward to my sobriety date like anniversary way more than I do my birthday every year. Yeah, you worked way harder for for those milestones. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So let's start at the beginning because I know Mm -hmm. you you have an incredible story to share. Can you take us back to Texas days, like Tara, early days when she was still drinking? How did your drinking start? (sighs) So my drinking started, I feel like, kind of like any other American teenager like you just start like drinking sometimes with friends or like at a very young age and I don't know I kind of hung out with like the bad kids so maybe I was introduced to that like earlier than most people but I was drinking in like middle school um and at the time I had okay like going way back um there there so I grew up in like a really toxic bad, terrible environment. Like my parents got divorced when I was really young. Like a lot of people's parents get divorced. Um, But my parents made their lives like living hell. Like there was so much parentification going on. Like both of my parents were telling us like as very young preteens, like my, my, my siblings, I have two siblings. They weren't even teenagers yet. And I was like barely 12 or 13. And we knew like about all the affairs. We knew about all the problems. Like we knew we like, so, so it's like, I was in, I remember sitting in school and I like, I hear everyone talking about like regular middle school things. And like, I feel like their worlds were so small. Like it was just about what was going on in school and their life bubble had not like expanded yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there one day and I was just thinking about all these things. Like I knew about my parents' sex life. I knew like, I I didn't know who was to blame or if I should blame. Um, I knew about like all this trauma that had happened. And so I feel like I could no longer really be a kid anymore. I was kind of like thrown into the middle the literal middle of a very adult very nasty divorce and then they fought for custody um and then at the same time um my mom has always struggled with eating disorders um and never really realized it at the time and she without meaning to like passed it on to me because her like she had such crazy body dysmorphia that like when she would look at me, like I was just a regular teenage girl. Like I was not overweight. I was a very regular person, but she would come up to me and like pinch like the skin, like that were, that was like on my jeans and there was like nothing there, but she was like, you got to lose weight. You got to lose weight, empty calories. Like you can't eat that. So I, um, with all the stress from like the divorce and my parents separating and like my siblings and everyone picking sides, it was like so wild. And then like coupled with this eating disorder, I had like a lot of really crazy mental stuff going on. Yeah. Um, And so when I started drinking, I remember the first night that I drank, it was just like everything that was in like my head, it was just like went away. It was just quiet, you know? And I wasn't having to deal with like my parents' divorce. I wasn't having to like think about the very adult real things that were going on in that sense. I wasn't having to worry about my siblings. I wasn't having to worry about like the shape of my body or anything that was going on with that. So when I actually started drinking for the first time, I mean, alcoholism runs in my family like so significantly. There's like everyone has alcoholism like in my family. And I remember the first time that I started drinking, like I drank like an alcoholic. Like I never, I never drank like a normal person. The girls that I was with, I remember they had a couple wine coolers and they were like, oh, this is so fun. And I was like, more, like more, I need more. Like I I, I can't go so far past where we are. Yeah, exactly. And everyone was like chilling. And I was like, this is not chill. And I just had this really crazy feeling inside of me it was like an electricity and it just like 
I just needed more and more. And so like, I was trying to convince everyone to like go steal from their parents. And they're like, we're just hanging out. No. And I was like, I can't breathe. (laughs) So that's basically how my journey started. Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that with your parents. It's so hard when you're like a a preteen or a teenager and the people that are supposed to be taking care of you and you're supposed to be able to trust them and they're your protectors are putting you in these situations that no child should have to experience. Like it's just not fair for you as a child to take on all of that information. And then Mm -hmm. of course, if they're not then talking to you about it after, there's no processing that's happening. So it, it makes total sense that you're searching for something outside of yourself to, to make that pain go away. Yeah, because I didn't know what to do with that. Like, what do you do with all this information about your parents? And like, they're trying to make you choose sides and there's like this custody battle and like, there's your, like, maybe you're going to have to talk to a judge and like, it's just like, what do you do? You know, it was like so much. Yeah, it's really, really stressful for a child, like, and not only that, but then you're, they're also opening you up to things that you probably didn't even realize were a part of the world, like the infidelity, and like, you're like what do you mean my parents have sex with other people? Like, they're married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm sorry, that is really hard. So that was when you were around like 13, 12 or 13? 12 or 13, yeah. 11, then, 12, I think maybe 11 or 12, and then the drinking started when I was like 12, 13. And then how did it progress as you went through high school, you went to college as well for a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Oh, well, I went, I went to community college for a little bit and I don't like, that's, that's a very American thing. I don't know if you know what community college is, but or it's, well, I'll explain. So um, my, my drinking actually, you know, it didn't, I didn't start heavily, heavily drinking until I was 17. So from 13 to 17, I kind of just like, hid myself in very, very unhealthy codependent relationships with like, there was two guys that I dated in high school. There was one, he was like super abusive. And I was only a freshman in high school. And he was like already like slapping me, like when he like disagreed with something I said. And I like, I like, and like, there was so much chaos going on, like in my life, I didn't have like, like a really a parental figure or anything that was like watching over me or knowing like really what was going on at the time. So I was in this really abusive relationship and like, didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. Like I had no idea. Um, And so that went on for about a year and then he went to another school. So things ended. And then I entered into like another. He was in high school too and behaving like that. Yeah. He was like 15. (laughs) Oh my God. I thought this was going to be like someone older than you, like trying to control the situation. Mm -mm, He was my age. Wow. He was, yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> Not that it's better if he's older, but no, like, just to yeah. see that in a child, like a child essentially is yeah. alarming. It was wild. Um, but then I started dating this other guy and I didn't really have feelings for the first guy. It was just like, I just needed someone to validate my existence. Like I needed to feel wanted because I just felt so lost everywhere else in life. And I started dating this other guy and he was like my first love. Like we lost our virginities to each other. It was like a very sweet thing. And then when that, when he broke, like when that went, like he broke up with me, um, cause he like wanted to explore the world. Cause we we're only like 16 or whatever, you know? So, but when he broke up with me, like his, he was what made me feel like a human being is that codependence and like someone wanting me because it seemed like in every other aspect of my life, like no one wanted anything to do with me. Cause like at home, it was really difficult. You know, I didn't really have friends. Like, and when I was in elementary school, I was in like the popular clique and I was the one that they like bullied like every week, you know, like how there's, there's one really mean girl that she picks someone to like be really mean to. Yeah. So someone it was within always, her own friendship circle. Yeah. And it was always, always, always me. Like 75% of the time it was me. So I had, I had this like recurring thing in my head. That's like, you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. Like no one likes you. No one wants to be around you. Um, Little did I know that was just that particular group of friends, but like, I didn't know, you know? That's your whole world when you're in high school. Like you don't think that years down the road. Exactly, exactly. So when that, the first love person fell, like uh, broke up with me, I was like, I'm not worthy. Like there's nothing about me that is redeeming. If this person who says he loves me so much doesn't want to be with me anymore, I must not, I must be nothing basically. 
So I started drinking like by myself after school and I was like 16. Yeah, I was like 16 and I started drinking. I was like, I blacked out a couple of times, like after school, I would just like go, go to bed early, but I was super drunk. Um, and then I eventually, I graduated high school early. So I graduated like a year early. And then I went to a community college, which is like, there's like universities, like big universities. And then there's like, they're also universities, but they're like way cheaper and way easier to get into just to get credits. So I graduated high school early. I didn't have any friends there. I didn't want anything to do with that. Um, graduated, went to community college. And then this guy who had just gotten out of rehab, who I had known like basically my whole life, he grew up down the street from me. Um, he dropped out of high school because he'd gone to rehab and like was on drugs and everything. And so we started hanging out at the community college and then I got into a relationship with him. And then from like 17 to 19, I was blacked out every single day. Like we just went wild together, like absolutely crazy. Um, and I went to rehab for the first time when I was 19 after like that relationship, it was, that was a super abusive, toxic, crazy relationship. So, um, that didn't, that ended, um, and then from to like about 20, like 19-ish, I I, st- I I got sober for like eight months. And then I that relapsed. That after you went to rehab the first time? Was your yeah, first so, sobriety stint? Mm, oh, no, it wasn't eight. It was like three months. Sorry, so long ago now. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went to rehab, was sober for three months for like an entire summer. And then I relapsed because my roommate had actually died and had drunk driving related car accident. Oh so I relapsed at their funeral. I'm so um, sorry. Yeah, it was, it's really sad. It's horrible. He was so young. He was only like 21, 22. Um, but I relapsed at their funeral, unfortunately, and then, you know, started drinking again and then ended up moving to another place and then basically just drank my way into 21. And I was working at a bar, uh, you know, my, I had a boyfriend who was the bartender. So it was just like alcohol was everywhere. It was really easy to access. And that, I just lived my life like that for so long. And towards the end, like when people, like when I say like, oh, I was drinking and I was 21, 20, people just imagine like, oh, you're just at a party and you're just like chilling and you know, you're not going, going. to the club, like going out. It's a social aspect. Yeah that was not my drinking at all. When I was drinking, I was like literally sitting down and sucking down as much alcohol as humanly possible. And I was, I wasn't, I didn't have relationships with people. Like, I mean, I had a boyfriend, uh, but he was like high all the time. So like, he didn't really care that I was drunk. So it was like really easy, Um, but I didn't have friends. I couldn't maintain friends. I couldn't really maintain my job because like drinking for me was never a social, like fun thing. It was like a lifeline. Like I physically needed alcohol every single day in order to feel normal. Like I did not feel, I had like shakes and really bad anxiety. And I felt like really depersonalized and like had really bad derealization, depersonalization. Like if I did not have alcohol in my system. So it wasn't like a want for me. It was like, I physically need to be drinking every single day. And I had basically been drunk every day for the exception of three months when I was sober from 19 to 21. So my brain endured so much, like everything about my body was out of whack. Like nothing was functioning properly. I got to the point where I was having really extreme paranoia. Um, and really, really bad OCD, like to the point where like I wouldn't touch things. I would like wash my hands a million times. I wasn't showering. I wasn't brushing my teeth. Like I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't even changing my clothes. I, I, I wasn't, I could not function as a human being because alcohol had completely consumed every aspect of my life. And around when I was 21, a couple of months after I had turned 21, I, you know, was planning on committing suicide because I was like, I want, I wanted to stop. Like I, I knew this wasn't the correct way to live. And at the time, like my dad was in prison and, you know, my aunt who had basically been my mom throughout my life, she was, um, in hospice for pancreatic cancer. So she only had so many days, weeks, months to live. So there was just like it's like this crescendo of like all this crazy stuff happening. And I just, 
I didn't want to be alive anymore. Like, I was like, what is there to live for? Like, this person's dying. My dad's in prison. My family doesn't speak to me anymore. My siblings want nothing to do with me. I don't really have a relationship with my mom. It's like, what's the point? And like, I can't stop drinking. It breaks my heart to hear you say this. (laughs) But then I'm looking at you now and who you are today. So I know, like, I know it's a happy ending, but it's making me emotional listening to you. Yeah, it's definitely a happy ending. But like, I feel like that's... That's, that's that's the special thing about sobriety is like we face such insane parts of ourselves and we have to really look at every single flaw that we have as a human being and it's like this mirror of literally everything that you could consider wrong or bad about yourself and the thing about sobriety is that you look at all of this and you stop trying to wish it away. You stop trying to change it. You stop trying to be someone that you're not. You literally look at yourself in the, in the mirror and you're like, this is me. For me, I consider myself an alcoholic. I was like, I'm an alcoholic. I, you know, I have this flaw or I guess I could call it a flaw, but this is just me. This is me. This is me. And you face like the deepest, darkest parts of yourself. And then you come to terms with that. And like you become the strongest most incredible version of yourself. And, you know, maybe it's crazy, but I've always said that it's like such a blessing that I went through all of this because, you know, I, during that, those last couple weeks, I, I don't remember anything. Like my roommates would tell me that I was up until 4am just screaming in my room by myself. I was having conversations with people that weren't there. Like I was in a full psychosis. Like, and that is a reality is alcohol induced psychosis. Yeah, I'm for sure. Like I was just walking around for like two weeks and like this insane psychosis. And finally, I don't know what happened, but I had tried to stop, tried to stop. I would wake up every morning and be like, okay, this is the last time. This is the last time, but every, it could not be the last time. Cause I just, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't break away from it. And I remember the last night that I drank I think it was the last night that I drank. Like it's so fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure like piecing it all together. Like the last night I got my phone out and called like 15 family members. And I was like, if you don't come get me, I will not be here tomorrow. Oh my God. Cause I just like, there was like, there was just something in me that was still fighting to live. Like there was just something in me, like, even though I was so convinced that life was terrible and like I had proof that life was terrible and like was never going to get any better. There was something within me that was like, no, like, it does not have to be like this. We're still reaching out for help. Yeah. There was still a part of me that still wanted to live. Like besides I had planned out my suicide. I had, you know, attempted and, and I don't know, there was just something in me that was like, I want to be here. still. so I woke up the next morning. I had family around. They came and removed me from the situation. And then within a couple of days I was in rehab again. Um, and this time Like I knew, like if I ever drink again, I will die. And it's, you know, and people have this idea of like, oh, a drink is just a harmless little one thing. Like how can one little beer, one little cocktail harm you? But that's the reality of alcoholism for me is that like that one drink will trigger this crazy thing inside of me where my whole world ceases to exist. And the only thing I can think about is alcohol. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, I went to rehab and learned so much about myself and it was really, really, really hard. Like early sobriety is not easy as I'm sure, you know, like there are so many temptations. We are living in a world where we're constantly advertised alcohol 24 seven, like everywhere you look, everyone's drinking and it's so normal. This, this, carcinogenic, toxic, addictive poison is just being shoved down our throats 24 seven. And now we're having to live in a world where we know that if we do that, we will die or our lives will be ruined or we cannot be the best version of ourselves, depending on, you know, how you interpret that for yourself. Um, but yeah, like I've learned so much and I'm so, it's crazy, but like, I'm so thankful for that experience. Like as hard as it was and as much as it ruined several years of my life, like I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a teenagehood. I didn't have a young adulthood. Even my early twenties 
were a real struggle because after the drinking then came the really severe mental disorders. Like I had very, very severe paranoia where I was convinced that there were people out to get me. And, you know, I had OCD to the point where I couldn't eat or drink anything or touch anything. Um, I was having like, I couldn't leave the house. I was having like severe panic attacks to the point where I thought I was dying like every single hour. Um, and I just could, I couldn't function. And how did you work through that while also maintaining your sobriety? Uh, I, I just got to the point where I was like, if I don't do this now, like I know this will pass if I don't tackle this now, like if I don't just absorb and accept like all this that's happening to me, I just like, it was like, I just knew that it was like a hurricane that was going to come and like, it was just going to be really bad. And it was going to be like terrible. And like my life would look completely different. But once it passed, I would, I would be left with like a blank slate basically. And then I knew that from there that I could rebuild. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be on medication because I was medicated, self-medicated for so long on like alcohol. And I was on pills and like I did Xanax and hydrocodone. And um, so I knew I didn't want to do anything. Like I just wanted to do it completely naturally. And like, it took definitely longer, but I, it was so important to me that I figure out my own body and that my own body was able to like readjust. And find out what your actual baseline is. Exactly. I'm going through something similar right now as well. Um, So I'm eight months alcohol free. I'm Mm -hmm. not doing any drugs. Sometimes I'll do like a THC uh, can, but I've also recently gone off of SSRIs that I've been on for about two years. So now I'm also like experiencing like, what is my baseline? Like, how do I feel every day? Like functioning, like just as myself. Uh, Yeah. And that's really hard. That's really hard. It's, hard. it's yeah. not an easy thing to do at all. You know? But it sounds like you were you were literally fighting for your life. You were in survival mode for so long, almost fighting against yourself so that when you do get to this point now, when you're coming out of rehab sober, not that the things that were to come were easy, but you had already been through hell. Like, what choice did you have besides to keep going? Like, walk through yeah. the fire. Exactly. Like I, after that first 24 hours sober, it was just like a miracle. I was like, I can't believe I did that. Like, I cannot believe I went a whole 24 hours without drinking. And then the next day came and I was like, wow, two days. And then a week passed and then a month passed. And I was like, there's no turning back now. Like I can't, I can't restart this process. Like it will literally probably kill me if I have to restart this process. Um, And I just, I I don't know. I just had something inside of me that just told me to go, like go forward. There's something else to look forward to. There's something else out there. Um, So, yeah. So I just, I, I, I I didn't have, I didn't have any friends for like a year and a half or so. Like I, well, all my friends were like in jail or drug addicts or, you know, whatever. So I literally cut off every single person in my life. I was living back at my parents' house or my dad's house, actually. He had got, just gotten home from prison. Um, so I was living at my dad's and I was like, okay, I just need to, I need to regroup, recenter and completely start over from like literally, like just completely from scratch. So I was working through my mental stuff. Like there was a long time where for several, several months where I, I think it was about within an eight, eight month period. I only left my dad's house like three times. Like I physically didn't leave the house. I rarely got out of bed and I took a long time to just be like super fucking depressed because I just physically couldn't do anything else. Like I had just been through so much trauma that I really needed rest and I really needed to, to back away from the world and just to be a little hermit because I just, I needed to recuperate because so much of me had been damaged and had been lost. And I was dealing with all the repercussions of that. Um, but then you I were slowly, rebuilding literally every aspect of your life. Yeah. Every aspect, but I mean, definitely starting with the mental and physical first, like just me, a hundred percent me, I wasn't worried about school. And a lot of people don't have that option. Um, 
you know, when they start over and I get that, but I was fortunate enough to, to have that option to just like disconnect from the world. Um, but I started, you know, slowly getting online and I started, you know, streaming on Twitch. And then I met my husband and he has, he changed my life so completely. He, you know, I was dealing with so much mental like neuroses, like OCD, like so much crazy stuff. And he saw all of that. And most people would be like, okay, no, like you you can't function. You can't drive a car. You can't leave your house. Like I'm not dealing with that. Like that's your crazy. But he, in the middle of all that looked at me and was like, how can we move forward? Like how, how can we heal? How can I help heal you? Um, because he saw something within me that I couldn't see myself. So yeah, so together, like, well, it's obviously been like, it's, he's definitely helped so much in, in, in my long-term sobriety, but I have a partner who's so supportive. I have a family who's really supportive. Like my siblings eventually came back into my life and started speaking to me again. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, I know, like, I don't want to die. I really, I don't. Uh, not anymore. I did for a period, a long period of time, but I know now that life can be so beautiful and relationships can just be the most beautiful thing. Like not every relationship is abusive and harmful and toxic. And there's, I learned that there's actually something worth living for. And I really didn't think there was for a really long period of time. And do you think that the life you're living now would be possible if you didn't stop drinking? <laughs> no, I wouldn't be here if I didn't stop drinking. Like yeah. if, if I had continued drinking for three more days, I would have killed myself. I, I, I wouldn't have been here anymore because I had already attempted and I was just, I was there. I was right yeah. there. Like I was, I was, I wouldn't be here. And even if like, I had relapsed during that time. Like relapse is like absolutely a natural part of the process. And I had done my relapsing before, but I was really at the point where if I had even relapsed again, like it just would have been all over for me. Yeah. But yeah, no casual drinking, anything like I love my sobriety. Like I fucking love it. I get that. (laughs) I I love it so much. Like I, I, I can't, I, I, maybe you've experience this as well but when I go out with people and I see them drinking I'm just like how do you have time for that how like I I have struggles like keeping up with like everything in my life sober yeah but like you're drinking and you're getting drunk and you're like ruining friendships and you're doing this and that and it's just like I don't know how people just accept that as the norm like how I just don't understand how you're living like that And for me, it's so hard to see like some of my friends that can go out and drink for the night and then wake up at their regular time the next day and just have a full productive day. I'm like, that's not an option for me. Like I'll see you in three days when I'm emerging (laughs) from my shame, like hibernation. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. So when you went into rehab for the second time, did you work a program like AA? Yeah. So I did. I went to AA when I first started and I I had gone to AA the first time around. Like my dad is also an alcoholic and he had gone to AA and has done AA for a long time. Um, I don't go to AA anymore. And that's not to say that it's like, doesn't work or like I, my, the foundations of my sobriety are rooted in AA Mm -hmm. and the principles. Um, but I moved um, from Texas to Canada. And then like, I went to a couple meetings, never really found anything that I liked, but I, you know, and there's this, there's this thing that like, Oh, if you don't go to AA, you're going to relapse eventually. And like, you're going to die. And, you know, some people are like really sitting in that camp. Um, and that's a really fear-based, I think mentality as well. Someone in a meeting one time said to me, if you, if you don't come back, you'll die. And I was like, I don't like that. Like, yeah. I don't, <laughs> don't want to have to be. And like some people absolutely need it for some people. They will die if they stop going to AA. Like yeah. I believe that, but that's not true for everyone. Like I, it was so important for me to find a routine, a way of life, people in my life. It was so important for me to find 
like a like a, putting a puzzle together of everything that worked in order for me to stay sober without relying on anything, anyone. Like, if, of course, it's amazing to have a support system. And sometimes you can't rely on yourself 100% of the time, mm-hmm. which is why I have a support system. Um, Absolutely. But I, yeah, I just didn't want that. I just didn't, that really turned me off. I was like, I don't want people to tell me I'm going to die if I don't do something. Cause like, it's not yeah. true. Yeah. Don't scare me into coming. Show me all yeah. the reasons of why I should be coming. Yeah. But AA, I mean, that was just one person. So that doesn't like tarnish AA Absolutely. as a whole, yeah, right? Definitely. But I yeah. So yeah, but I don't I, go to AA now, but I mean, I love it. And if I ever were struggling, I would go right back. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. And so you identify with the term alcoholic and recovering alcoholic. Was that mm-hmm. always something that made sense to you? Like taking on that, that name? Always, you know, it's really funny. Cause like I see like within, and I'm sure you see this too, like within the sobriety community online, there's like two camps. There's like people <laughs> who consider themselves alcoholics and people who don't. And like, it's like some people sometimes like create issue within those two terms Mm, like a bit of a disagreement yeah and that's just so wild to me because like at the end of the day we're all sober from alcohol like no matter how you identify our goal is the exact same yeah like we're just all trying to survive in a world alcohol free um but alcoholic and alcoholism a lot of people are so scared of that and they're like, Oh my God, it has such a bad stigma and I don't want to be viewed in a certain way. And I totally, I completely get that. But for me, when I could finally identify myself as an alcoholic, it was the most freeing experience I've ever had. Like it wasn't that I was defective and it wasn't because I was morally corrupt and it wasn't because I was like a really fucked up individual who had no self-control or whatever, like when I could apply the term alcoholic to myself, I was like, this makes sense. Like my life makes sense. Everything about the last several years of my life completely makes sense. So for me, it was like, I was just waiting for a term to come around that made sense of the disaster that I had turned my life into. And so, yeah, for me, it was just a really freeing experience to be able to call myself an alcoholic because I can't start, I can't stop as soon as I have one. That's it's, it's game over for me. Yeah. Um, I would go back to drinking the exact same way. If I started drinking again, it would just like be a snowball effect. And like everything about alcoholism, I completely identify with. And so it gave me a structure almost to my life that these are this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. It's like having diabetes, you know, like if you're diabetic, you're like, I can do this to be healthy. And if I, if, and I, if I do this, I'll be unhealthy. I I view alcoholism the same way. Like I do this because I'm an alcoholic. And if I do this, then it's dangerous because I'm an alcoholic. So it just made so much sense. And there's something really powerful about being able to name it because once you can name it, you can work towards correcting it. I think Like for me, I don't necessarily identify with the term alcoholic at this Mm -hmm. time, but the more I'm learning about sobriety and the alcohol industry and just the more knowledge in general that I'm gaining about everything, I'm like, okay, I probably do have an addiction to alcohol because the same Mm -hmm. things that you said are true. Once I start drinking, I can't stop. I don't want to stop. And if I have one drink tomorrow, maybe it'll be one drink, but it's always going to snowball back to exactly what it was. And that's something that I've proved to myself several times. So yeah. I'm like, that is an addiction to alcohol. So am I an alcoholic or do I have, a, and does it matter? I guess is, is one of the questions. It doesn't matter. Like it really, it really doesn't. And like, if, if you're someone who's searching for something to make sense of your life and if you need a label, maybe it brings you comfort but maybe it doesn't. And the only thing I think people should be looking for in terms of labels is whatever makes you feel comfortable and powerful in your sobriety is exactly what you should consider yourself as. There's not a box you should fit into to fit in with anyone Mm -hmm. who's sober or like, there's nothing you need to do except survive. Yeah. So whatever makes you comfortable is exactly what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. I agree completely. 
And so you've talked about your dad a little bit, um, that he is also a recovering alcoholic. And I know that you guys have a podcast together. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk a little about that? Um, it took me a really long time to convince him to do it because he's just like, he hates the internet. I, I like li- literally a couple years ago, I had to put an iPhone in his hand and be like, you have to join the rest of the world. This brick <laughs> phone from Walmart is like, join not us doing in 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So he's not, on, he's not on the internet at all. So it took me a long time to convince him to get on, but, um, you know, I was going to say like, just even that setup process, like how, like, what would that even look like getting my dad on a podcast would be, it would be impossible. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a, it was a journey to get online, <laughs> but, but he's like, he's an artist. So like he, he has like he he records music and writes books and you know does all that stuff so he actually had like the setup because he does record music oh great he had had a computer he had a microphone so I just (laughs) had to like download a program and just be like okay just do this when we go live and like you don't have to do anything just sit there and talk into the microphone and I'll handle everything else so um yeah so I mean he it was I probably like the foundations of my sobriety are also rooted in him because like, as soon as I was 17, he looked at me straight in the face and he was like, you're an alcoholic. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm a 17 year old just partying. There was a was tiny little at that time. Yeah. He was sober at the time. Sober. Okay. But, but I mean, he had, he had been an alcoholic his whole life. He had been drinking since he was very young as well. Um, he went to rehab when he was 19 as well. So there's like a lot of parallels in our life. Um, but as soon as he said that to me, like 99.999% of me was like, no, but there was this one little crane in the back of my head that was like, maybe this isn't normal. So he like definitely planted a seed. And like the more my drinking progressed and the worse it got, I was like, yeah, like this is probably what's going on with me. We never want our parents to be right though. (laughs) No, never. Especially about this, because like, how are you supposed to be sober at 21? Like, yeah. That's the age in America where you can start drinking. How was I supposed to make friends? How was I supposed to have a social life? How was I supposed to go out and meet people or go on a first date or go out drinking or buy a wedding dress without celebrating with champagne? How was I going to be able to go to Vegas? How was I going to like, there was just so, yeah. I was like, how do you live a life without alcohol? It feels like such a loss. Like when you're at that point exactly like you just look ahead and you're just like I'm losing life because I can't drink alcohol but that's the funny thing isn't it like we live in a world that is so infused with alcohol that we feel like we are as human beings on this planet with all the billions of options of things to do out there we feel like we're missing out on life because we can't have a drink like that's how brainwashed we all are. And that's how brainwashed like the alcohol industry has made us because we, that's, that's such a wild thing to think that we can't live life because we're not drinking. Like drinking is such a small, it's not even a fraction. It's like a teeny tiny thing that people do. Yeah. That like, I can't go to my friend's wedding because I don't want to drink alcohol or I can't go welcome a new baby into the world at a baby shower. Cause I'm not drinking alcohol. Like it just, it really doesn't make sense. No, it's like every, every aspect of our lives have, have been taken over or hijacked by like a celebratory drink. Like when yeah. you think of celebrating, you think of like There's always like whatever, like big major events going on in life, whether it be a wedding, engagement party, baby shower, whatever is going Mm -hmm. on, there is a, there is a drink to compliment that. Yeah. Like when I was picking out my wedding dress, like when I picked it, the ladies were like champagne. And I was like, please no. Why? (laughs) Why do I need this right now? (laughs) Please no. But yeah, it's just like everything we're celebrating, everything we're doing, like we're just convinced that we have to be intoxicated to like fully enjoy the benefits of feeling the celebratory whatever of what's going on. But I feel more celebratory sober than I ever have drinking because I'm sure like you, like once you started drinking, it stopped being about whatever was going on and Mm -hmm. then started being about drinking. So yeah, being about always, the next drink. Yeah. Yeah. 
drinking always took away. Drinking took life away from me. Like drinking never gave me life ever. It never gave me fun. It just took away everything. Yeah, I agree completely. And so the podcast is called Alcoholisms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is such a cute (laughs) name too. Uh, Yeah, I love that you're doing that with your dad. Um, And so I did listen to a couple of the episodes and one of them, you recently went home to Texas. Mm -hmm. I think your dad called it the scene of the crime. Going back to the house that you that you grew up in or that you were drinking in. Yeah. What was that experience like? So that house is actually really hard to go back to because like me and my dad were like best friends growing up and like we're still super close. Um, But there was a lot like that was the house he bought after my parents got divorced. And there was it's just a trauma house. Like Mm -hmm. every memory I have from that house is like bad. Like the reason that he bought the house is bad. The the times that we spent there, the 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 he had a major depressive episode after he lost custody. Um, we didn't lose custody. He got like less than half, but my dad was fighting for full custody and my mom was fighting for full custody. So he didn't get he didn't get full custody. But he went into a major depressive episode after he lost custody. And I feel like for a period of like a year or two years, like I just didn't see him smile. He was just depressed. It took, it was like everything for him to just get out of bed in the morning. And he was just like, it was just like this, he wasn't the same anymore. It's like, I lost, I lost him. He was like a shell of a human being. Like he just, it looked like dad, but it wasn't him. So there was that for a really long period of time. And then And then his, he was a lawyer and his business, um, there was a very, very, very shady person who would like come to him for work. And the FBI got involved in whatever that guy was doing and took down everyone, even though like my dad, like wasn't really involved. He was just kind of like, he just did some paperwork here and there. Yeah. So it was like this huge thing, like this big FBI sting operation that, and like everyone got screwed over in that there was like 40 or 50 people who got indicted at the same time oh my god yeah it was that's part of that's the reason why he went to jail Mm -hmm. that's the reason he went to prison so he went to prison in kansas for a couple years and and then that was hanging over our heads for a really long time so like the scene of the crime is very fitting because like it's just like there was just there was it was bad like that whole house is just bad bad memories bad everything so it's really hard going back there. And my husband and I, we have this like routine, like this regimen that we go through because like every time I do go back, I start slipping back into this really depressive mind state that I used to be in. Like that was the house I went to after I got sober. That was the house that I didn't leave. That was the house where I had all my mental problems. And when I, when I used to go back there, I didn't prepare myself for it. And I would just go back home and within a couple days like I wasn't getting out of bed and it's just this this air of like just like just bad bad energy there out above the house it's that's that's what we say there's like a cloud (laughs) there's like a cloud it's just like dark and like so bad there um but yeah I, I mean my husband have a routine now like every time I'm there I schedule workouts at a gym that's local. I make sure to go outside every single day. I make sure that I'm eating like really healthy stuff. I make sure to talk to him on the phone every day and like talk to him about my feelings and what's going on and um, just make sure I'm doing like a million and one things just to keep my mind healthy and like Mm. off of all this stuff. Because as you know, like when you go back home, like when you're living like outside of your house, like back where all that bad stuff happened, like when you're out in the world, it's so easy to like remove yourself from all that bad stuff. But like, as soon as you step foot back in there, it's like all of it comes rushing back to you. Yeah. So yeah, you just have to, for me, I just figured out a way to, you know, stick to your routine and do the things in your, in your now current life that make you feel good and keep you accountable. Yeah. I have a similar um, experience where I grew up in Winnipeg and that's where my drinking really started at a young age as well. I was about, I think like 14 or 15 when I first started experimenting, 
But the house that I grew up in was also the house that my parents got a divorce in. There was quite a few traumatic events in my life that took place in that house. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a few years ago that my mom actually moved out of it. And every time I would go home to visit, this was when I was still drinking, but it was like, as soon as I walked into that house, like I was in a bad mood. My mom and I are fighting. Like, I think that having like, luckily our parents had the option to now have new spaces after such a long period of time, but having that change of scenery and not having to walk those same halls is such a game changer when I go home to now. Absolutely. I totally, I totally understand. Like every time I would go home, I would start fighting with my husband every time, like for no reason. Like we, we don't fight, but like, as soon as I walk back in there, just like, it's just, you just go back into this weird mental space. Yeah. I totally get that. Wow. (laughs) I feel like we've been talking for like, so I know I just looked at the time. That's why I was like, Oh my goodness. Well, okay. So before we wrap up, what's one thing that you wish you knew about sobriety before you stopped drinking? One thing I wish I knew about sobriety is that it's not scary. Like, and I touched on this earlier, like so many people view sobriety as like taking something away from you. Like you're taking drinking away, you're taking, taking away, taking away, like you're, you're, you're removing things from your life. But in reality, Sobriety isn't taking away anything. Sobriety is adding things to your life that you never had before. So it could be like a better sleep schedule, way better mental health, like reduced anxiety and whatever, way better relationships, um, new relationships that you would have never had if you hadn't have stopped drinking. So there's just so much that people, there's such a negative connotation to sobriety. It's like, oh, it's bad. Like you remove so much, but no, sobriety is the complete opposite. Sobriety is adding in all the wonderful, beautiful, life-giving, happy things that you were missing because of alcohol. That's something I wish I would have understood a lot sooner. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing so much of yourself. I know that like this episode is probably going to be like one of the best so far on the show. And then I know (laughs) that so many people listening are going to be able to relate to that and it's so important to show that there is life after alcohol and absolutely like that life is better than you could ever imagine. So thank you so much, Tara. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is Keisha signing off on another episode of done with debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at done with debauchery. Thanks for listening.